As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We are recording the morning after the night before, which produced a Manchester United performance that Laurie Whitwell declared as the first realisation of Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United. Andy Mitten called it the best all-round MUFC display for years and even declared a public holiday in Belo Horizonte. <laughs> I'm so glad I wasn't there. You two were, though, and you're going to hold my hand through this. I'm sure you're going to dig at me so many times. It's the first match I've missed at Old Trafford this season, and it seems like it was absolutely brilliant. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning. You didn't only miss it, though, did you? You were somewhere else. Where were you, Ian? I was at Anfield. Anfield, of all places. Work commitments. Got to put food on the table, haven't you? But you did <laughs> You did miss quite a good game. If, if you'd have missed the Newcastle game, nil-nil, you wouldn't have been too fussed, would you? But this one felt like a kind of moment. Maybe I've overhyped it there by saying it was the first realisation, but it felt like it was Ten Hag's team out on the pitch, plus also the way the fans reacted to it. It felt like the players were feeding off the energy that was in the crowd, you know, like the, the kind of output that they produced on the pitch. I mean, Luke Shaw, for example, had a 50-50 with Lucas Moore in the 91st minute won it, dribbled the ball up the pitch and kind of maintained possession. And Moore had come on nine minutes earlier. So like, you know, he'd had quite a substantial amount of time to get ahead of Shaw in terms of the stamina. But um, yeah, it felt like all the players were as one, moving in synchronicity. Ten Hag was out on the touchline the whole game, kind of urging them on. And Spurs just didn't have any answer to it. It was a, a total show of domination. Andy, how good was it? It was absolutely fantastic. I think it was the best overall Manchester United performance for years. I know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team had some fantastic results, but they were mainly based on counter-attacking football. Against Tottenham, Manchester United dominated from probably 80 minutes of the match. After six minutes, I tweeted that United had many shots in the last minute as they did against Newcastle at the weekend. And I thought that could have been an early flurry, but after 25 minutes, United was still pounding the Spurs goal. And at half time, as well as no one asking where you were, 
people were saying it's one of the best performances for years and years and years. And the feeling was if Tottenham nick a 1-0 goal here, this would be really unfair because Manchester United are playing so well. So I was slightly surprised when United came out in the second half, got the goal. I thought so many players played well. I know uh, Stratford was singing for Fred. He was probably one of four or five players who could be man of the match. What's this Fred song, Andy? Because you were tweeting about it as well. Joy Division. Yeah, it's the one that United fans used to sing for, for Ryan Giggs. And they were singing, Fred, Fred will tear us apart again. Give us a blast, Andy. We know you can sing. Come on. Mate, I got in really late last night. Can you not tell by his voice he's not on phone this morning? Are you speaking quietly because your mum's asleep, Andy? Yeah, last time I did um, an interview at my mum's house, she walked on, she was on TV <laughs> and she walked behind me with rollers in. I remember. Fred, there Fred we go. will tear you apart again. again. <laughs> Do you know the only other time I've heard that song appropriated for somebody else was Phil Neville when he dominated Arsenal back in like, was it 2004 five? And it was Phil, Phil will tear you apart again. So it's, there's that kind of slight edge of humour to it, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Fred got that as well. For a joke, I tried to type in Portuguese that it's a, today's a bank holiday in Belo Horizonte, where Fred's from. And I put it through Google Translate. Sorry, I didn't get that pronunciation quite right at the top, did I? And, uh, I just asked my wife to check it and she said, that just sounds weird. <laughs> this is how you write it. And then she just sent me an invoice underneath for five euros. <laughs> and then I showed Fred. He said, yeah, that's a great idea. A free holiday in my home city. And then I said, are you familiar with the music of, of Joy Division? He was just laughing and said, that, no. But he loved it. He loved um He didn't think that it was fit to be compared with a legendary player like Ryan Giggs, but there's been so many games in recent years where as a fan, as a journalist, the mood is despondent. And even on Sunday, it was very flat against Newcastle United. But last night, was it was near euphoria. The atmosphere was really interesting because we know we've got the, the vocal areas like the, the TRA. But I sometimes think, and a lot of players will say this, the best thing about Old Trafford is when the old man in the main stand starts to roar and the team attacks, and there was loads of that last night. You're watching my dad again? I was watching him, mate, because like, I didn't, um, didn't miss you, so I wanted to see your dad, <laughs> and he was buzzing off it. The team were roaring forward. and I had four missed calls while I was still working, so I knew he enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it really was good, and one of the best for years. I, I'm trying to think. I know there's, there's been superb results, PSG away, Manchester City away, ironically, when... Fred was probably man of the match in December 19. There's that little flurry under Louis van Gaal in the, the spring of 2015 where Manchester United played, played really well. But it was so, so good last night. Really, really enjoyed it. I, I could tell it was a good game last night because the Twitter notifications were already going off, weren't they? Mark Gallagher, get that pod recorded quick and make it punchy. <laughs> 442, waiting for the podcast already. Uh, there's a brilliant one from Naughty Morty as well. Setting my alarm to be up bright and early, lads. Release that podcast ASAP. We on the Tango and Coca-Cola tonight. Um, <laughs> great, thank you. Uh, and Ben Smith as well, actually. It's interesting, this, Laurie. Whisper it, but probably for the best that we got Casimiro instead of Frankie de Jong. What do you reckon? I mean, he, that, that midfield display felt like it, didn't it? That felt like a, a midfield that could certainly go into a game against a big team and do well 
you know, certainly break-up play. The passing was good. I think just different players, aren't they? Frankie de Jong and Casemiro. But this was this was the game where Casemiro felt like became a Manchester United player in the truest sense because the fans really responded to him. There was obviously tackles that he put in. Um, there was that shot that he had that was really crisp that went just past the post. And when he came off, he got a standing ovation. And it was at the same time as Sancho came off as well. So it was, obviously there was applause for Sancho, but it was really a recognition of Casemiro's work that he put out on the pitch. And it felt like he'd properly given himself to that game. And you saw why, you know, he's won five Champions Leagues. I don't know if anyone's mentioned it, but he's won five Champions Leagues. The, the kind of decision-making process that he was going through in certain little moments where Spurs maybe could have nicked the ball and, and got away, you know, because Son and Kane, you know, brilliant strike partnership. They've, you know, I think scored, assisted 50 goals between them, haven't they, where they've they've laid on one another. Tore United apart at Old Trafford previously, but they didn't get a sniff. And I think that's because United, even in those moments where Tottenham were trying to have a transition period, that they were quick to it and sensed it and, and Casemiro was at the heart of it. Listen, I'm sure Eric Tenag would still love to have Frankie de Jong in his team. There was a reason why he wanted him time after time and he's, he's younger, isn't he? So I suppose you kind of do think this is Casemiro at his peak, 30 years old. You know, how, how many years are you going to get like this? But I think enjoy it whilst it's here because this, this really did make you go, okay, I get it. You know, this, this is why he's won all these, all these trophies. I think you notice him when he makes a mistake because he makes so few. He misplaced a pass just before half time, which led to a, a very rare Spurs attack. And another thing about him was did you see him when Manchester United scored? Yeah. Celebrating by himself. It showed what it meant to him. Frankie de Jong never wanted to come to Manchester United. Casemiro did and was very strong on that. And I think we're seeing a, a world class player. It's not always easy to appreciate what he does. When you speak to people who play at a very high level or coaches, they say he just brings balance to the team. It's it's his shape, it's his positioning off the ball, it's the spaces that he fills to help other players. And I thought he was excellent at Everton a few weeks ago. And just watching him and Varane, I thought Varane was brilliant against Spurs as well. These are world-class players at the top of their game, earning a top wage. And it hasn't always happened when Manchester United have gone for top, top players that they have performed to the level expected. But those two absolutely did last night. There was another nice moment with Casemiro actually for the second goal as well because it obviously travelled quickly up the pitch and um, you had the defenders' union kind of come together. Uh, Martinez jumped onto Luke Shaw and kind of hugged him and then they went over to Varane, as you say, who was having a really good game as well, and Casemiro and, and the four of them just had it hugged in the kind of centre um, circle whilst the rest of the team were off celebrating with Bruno and then they eventually joined them. But it was just quite a nice moment where, as you say, you kind of really felt that, that connection between the players and, and then also the fans. Is Marcus Rashford ever going to score again? I can't believe how close he came, Larry. I mean, he played mm. brilliantly. He was such a threat. He led the team, didn't he, really, in the press. Led from the front, really. But I just can't believe he didn't score again. He should have scored one at least, shouldn't he? He should have scored a hatchet, really. I mean, the second one where Larry saves it, it he, Rashford has made that chance himself. You know, he's dribbled inside and then it's actually a good left-footed shot that Larry does really well to reach. But the, fir- the first one and the third one, you know, they're really powerful shots. That's his default, isn't it? Through on goal, hammer it. And maybe against another goalkeeper, that would go in. Lloris was in good form. He had a bit of a error, didn't he, to Anthony's shot from, from distance. That he... The save in the second half was amazing, wasn't it? The one to Rashford, you mean, or yeah. another one? He, he pulled off quite a few. Yeah. Yeah, the second Rashford save, well, sorry, the third Rashford save that he made was a standout. And I, I still, could he have gone a bit more in the corner? Obviously, Thierry Henry on 
Amazon was saying that, you know, you need to have finesse in those moments sometimes. I, th- I think they are really good saves. You can criticise because he hasn't scored, so you do have to debate that. But I think the wider point, Ten Hag was obviously thrilled with him and we'll get on to Ronaldo, but he had no doubt in his mind that he was going to start Rashford over Ronaldo. Who? <laughs> Who? Uh, well, yeah. I think Rashford played well. He looked sharp. He was fast. He was confident. I do think he should have scored after 20 minutes. It was a good save. And maybe he was a bit close to Lloris, but world-class strikers are, are supposed to score uh, goals like that. Marcus Rashford had seven shots, three of them on target. The only thing that was missing was a goal. And I realised that is an essential part of being a striker. But I think we're looking at a very different Rashford to most of last season. I'm really enjoying watching him play. I agree, absolutely. Just before we move it on then, Laurie, can we talk about your piece? Because you said it's the first realisation of Eric Ten Hag's Manchester United, as we said at the top. Um, we spoke about a lot of the aspects, but is there anything else that you felt in that performance display, that the way the night felt, that made you say that? Yeah, if I could, I sort of have a couple of points, because I kind of ended up breaking it down. I actually went into the game thinking, right, I'm going to look at Bruno Fernandes, because... He's had a bit of stick, hasn't he, recently? There's been that debate really around him for a good year, I would say, after his drop-off from his incredible start that he made. And Ten Hag was very defensive of him, wasn't he, in the pre-match press conference, saying, no, he is doing exactly what I want him to do, both in and out of possession. And and he was one of the five kind of things that I I, I brought out that I felt coming away from it. You, you do have to recognise what Bruno's done there because it was both in possession, clearly with his shots, um, the creation, you know, he had nine chances created, which is the most by any Premier League player since September 2021. Again, without Ronaldo, is is that a, a dynamic that he Who? Uh, thrives under, being the main man? You have to say that every time I mention his name now. <laughs> who? Uh, yep, yeah, there we go. I didn't actually mention his name that time. He who shall not be named. There we go. Who? <laughs> uh, can we get this into like a house beat or something? Ian going, who? Over and over. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the, the shots, I mean, United had... 19 shots in the first half, which is the, the tied second most they've had in the first half, basically since Opta started recording stats. Well, 28 shots is the most in the Premier League, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, 16 was the most that Tenag's had in the Premier League himself. And United have made that by the 27th minute. They shared it around the kind of players that were having these attempts. And I think it was a deliberate decision to go at Spurs like that because they do defend deep and they have that sort of pocket of space, I suppose, around the edge of the box. Clearly, you know, both goals were scored in that area but I thought it was a real you know key key moment that you've got this this it just kept the intensity up the crowd up and and, and Spurs on the back foot they never never could get out and then the other thing I did want to flag was just the, the two fullbacks really I mean I know you've, you've touched on Varane and Martinez I think they were excellent in shackling Kay and they kind of followed him into difficult areas which I think is something that Ten Hag was referring to you know when he was talking about belief at the Etihad and how players didn't believe I think that was partly it that players weren't kind of going with their direct opposition that they, you know, they kind of backed off a bit and, and weren't sure about the, the the setup. Here they really did believe. You had Martinez Varan following him to the centre circle and even deep. I think Varan followed him to the final third at one point. But the real thing that stood out to me was Shaw and Dallow. And I mean, I don't know who was the better fullback in the end because I thought they were both absolutely brilliant. But more particularly, Dallow made I think seven passes to Shaw ultimately in in, in the game. One of them was of the cross that Shaw. Um, hits really well that that strike he's got to a tee really that technique and Lloris tips it over but but more than that it was times when United were kind of Spurs were looking to press United on the right and Dallow had it 
and he did these like crossfield passes to Shaw in space that just instantly eased the pressure and United were actually on the attack. It, they were really three three really good balls like that. And that was more, I looked at their um, sort of pass map from Newcastle because I'm, I'm sad like that. And it was like three passes in a really short space in a quick sequence. So they, they weren't linking up together basically. And I'm not saying that the full back to full back has to work all the time, but it, it was a really nice kind of example of how this team was as one. You know, it, it moved in kind of, in in a whole shape rather than people being in disparate parts of the pitch. Yeah, totally get it. And if you want to read more about Laurie's take on last night, it's on The Athletic now, of course. You can subscribe to The Athletic and pay just £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. There's a few articles up there, some of which we're about to talk about on Manchester United at the moment. And of course, the world of football as well. You get ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts when you sign up too, of course. That's £1 a month for your first six months when you subscribe at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Right, okay, let's get into it then. In a direct contrast to last night, Andy, Cristiano Ronaldo, Laurie's reported, here we go, (laughs) left the ground before even the final whistle had blown. It's just not a good look, that, is it? It's not a good look at all. I get why he's disappointed. You could even argue that Manchester United played so well last night that had Cristiano been playing, he would have scored a couple of goals because he tended to thrive in those type of matches. I think one of Cristiano's best ever performances came against Tottenham. But that's not the headline. The headline is him leaving early. I thought it was poor form. I thought it was sad to see. I think he's not enhancing his reputation with Manchester United fans. Eric Ten Hag was asked about him. The press conference the day before the game, I was there at Carrington. I think Ten Hag has handled him quite well because let's look at the facts here. Cristiano Ronaldo wanted to leave Manchester United in the summer. There were no takers for Cristiano Ronaldo. Any club in the world could have put an offer in for him. There were no takers for Cristiano Ronaldo. They are the fundamental facts of this. So he stayed, he's got a huge contract, and it will be used this season as the manager sees fit. If I was playing and I was in last night, I'd be annoyed as well. There's a difference, though, isn't there, between being annoyed and that? There's absolutely a difference. Quite a big difference. There's absolutely there's a huge difference. And walking off, I'm sorry, I don't agree. I don't think it looks uh, looks good. I don't think it enhances the 
mood among teammates. I'd love to know privately what his teammates are thinking because if that was a player in one of uh, my teams, you just know you'd be thinking, what a knob. I, I still think he'll have um, some moments this season, Cristiano, but he's not the player that he was. And the manager's got to see the best way to use him. He'll get his chances, but the opposite of what he did last night would have been him celebrating his teammates playing fantastically well and Manchester United looking like the top team that he thought he was coming back to. This United team now have beaten Arsenal, Liverpool and Spurs at home so far this season. Really, really convincing wins. Yeah, it's encouraging, certainly. In terms of Ronaldo, Eric Ten Hag says he's going to deal with it today. Uh, That's his sort of reaction to all the questions he had last night about what was going to happen. But I thought it was a really interesting line in your piece, Laurie, about Ronaldo leaving early. Ronaldo's early exit didn't make a ripple in the home dressing room at Old Trafford as United players celebrated the win over Tottenham. Yeah. That felt important. Well, I think so because I don't, in that moment, it's not going to, it didn't spread like, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo's left. It wasn't like, you know, players are discussing it. They've focused on the fact they've had a really good performance where they've all done the jobs, they've looked out for each other and that's that's what they were celebrating. Um, they're not getting carried away. You know, it's not like they've, they've achieved anything but it's a, a good signpost in the journey that they hope will lead to success so Ronaldo leaving early okay fine you know let him do his thing they've, they've been used to this you know as Andy said he wanted to leave in the summer and we know that he was causing issues at the training ground sort of resisting Ten Hag's pressing approach in, in drills and things like that cutting an isolated figure in the canteen what do you think he hoped to achieve Laurie? He, well he wanted the, the story to be about himself you'd think right I mean that that's all you can think because he was he was stood there wasn't he uh, in front of the dugout leaning on the red bricks whilst Tenag was making those sort of final substitutions although he, he could still have come on couldn't he I mean he was he was down the tunnel before the 90th minute there was four minutes of injury time so he could easily have come on two subs left whether that would have been disrespectful to put Cristiano Ronaldo on at that point obviously Tenag that was the kind of reason he gave for not putting him on at, at 4-0 5-1 6-1 down at Manchester City this felt like a, a point that Tenag was was wanting to make, really, that actually we can win against a good Spurs team without Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I'll put Anthony Alanga on, you know, who has, who, who to be fair, you know, wasn't playing badly when he came out of the team. He, he's only lost his place because of Anthony coming to the club. So you can kind of see, I, I know that we're talking about totally different scales of players here, Anthony Alanga and Cristiano Ronaldo, but you can sort of see if, if you're trying to build something, the reason why you give carrot to Anthony Langley in that point and also just a purely tactical thing you know loads of legs will definitely keep Spurs running backwards now should he have put Ronaldo on as a because you know it's, it's only a couple of games away isn't it since Ronaldo scored his 700th club goal at Everton and that was a, a winning goal ultimately for United and but could United have produced that performance Laurie if Ronaldo was in the team no 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 it's all I'm talking about purely is could Tenag have put him on for the last 10 minutes so that he doesn't storm down the tunnel and leave the ground before the final whistle. Okay, caveat, there was some traffic outside Old Trafford last night. I got stuck in it. So, you know, maybe he wanted to get home and, and rest up ready for Chelsea on Saturday early. But, you know, clearly he was annoyed. And and you you think that, like I say, he was stood in front of the dugout as those substitutions were being made. He knew the camera was going to be on him. He's behind Ten Hag. 
you know, he, he, he knows how these things work. You know, he obviously went and gave Thierry Henry a hug before the game. Uh, Patrice Evra, I think, and, and Roberto Martinez were there, gave a handshake, you know, like he did with Sky when, when Gary Neville were there and um, and Roy Keane in particular. So he, he knows what he's doing in these moments, just reminding people who he is. And you, you have to give massive respect for the career that he's had. But clearly in this moment, there's a divergence between what he can produce and what Ten Hag wants. And then also that gap between what his ego will allow him if he could accept that he was going to be this kind of player that Ten Hag would, would bring on at certain moments and, and not at others, it would be okay. But he, he can't accept that. And that that's fine. That's how he's got to these level of, of goals that he scored, this, this success that he's had in his career. But it does mean, what does Ten Hag now do? Will it become just this massive distraction for players who clearly played that way against Spurs because no one was above anybody else. They were all on a level where you can pass to me, you can pass to him. There wasn't any kind of idea that you, you know focus on one particular individual thinking we've got to give this guy the ball, we've got to try and get him a goal. So will that detract or, or will Ronaldo himself think, well, listen, you, you've disrespected me here. January, you know, he's round the corner. You know, we've got, what is it, a few more games before the World Cup. I suppose that's a natural break point where you have to look at the situation and evaluate it again because you can't be having a player walking off before the full-time whistle and then leaving the stadium. Final word on this. Andy, how do you think Ten Hag will deal with it? Is there a chance that Ronaldo's not involved against Chelsea now? I think he'll deal with it exactly how he's dealt with it so far. I think all the power in this is with the manager. I think there are elements of pride before the fall for Cristiano Ronaldo. I also think that the World Cup is actually a platform for him to show that he can still do it. Because if he had a very good World Cup for Portugal, and I've spoke to some Portuguese journalists, they're not convinced that's going to happen for the national team, then there would be suitors who say, all right, he's still doing this. So maybe one will come forward and say, we want him. We know he's going to cost a lot of money, but we'll go for Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't think Manchester United would stop him from from going out. Okay, Chelsea next then. I mean, if things have been different, Laurie, we might have actually been facing Chelsea with Cristiano Ronaldo up front, uh, which would have been an interesting situation. That's not happening, of course. It's Graham Potter's Chelsea. Um, what sort of match are you expecting? United should be bouncing into that after last night. Yeah, I think they'll go into it with real belief and confidence. Graham Potter's a really good manager, astute tactically. He he can see things that happen in games and change his team accordingly. I think he's changed his Chelsea team a lot. quite a bit. Yeah. You know, different players in in different positions than than even we're used to. I guess he's figuring out what players can do, how much they uh, subscribe to his his methods, and and trying to get the best team that he can. They have, they've been quite functional, haven't they, under Potter? It's not been like they've been rolling teams over. It's it's been controlled, and I suppose that's perhaps illustrative of how they were at Brighton. You know, great football, but it was it was often, you know, uh, it wasn't expansive football um, I guess that was because of the kind of calibre of players he had there whereas Chelsea you'd, you'd think that they've got you know better quality and certainly in attack so he should be able to get more goals from them but I think it'd be I think it'd be a tighter game and like it was against Spurs you know Spurs didn't come to attack Man United did they they'd come to contain and, and, and hit them on the break and that's what Conte's been doing I, I kind of feel like the Chelsea game might be quite similar I don't think they'll overcommit men forward so that at least gives United you'd think a, a foothold in the game and, and maybe if they can keep up that intensity I mean it'll be you know a third game in seven days which is a lot and Ten Hag doesn't like to change his team I mean I don't know if he does make any changes for this this team 
maybe McTominay can come back in, but it's it's difficult really to drop anybody after a performance like that. So yeah, it'd be really interesting. But if they can do it again, that would be a, the the real test, won't it? Whether Ten Hag team is 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 coming to fruition because that was a very good performance, but it was a one you know, one game and, and, you know, we've had this before where we've had good performances and then a dip. So, you know, it's a really big game for people to see if, you know, Ten Hag's got his players where they, where he wants them. And Ten Hag will really be a magician if he can get United playing well at Stamford Bridge, Andy, won't he? Because that is not a ground that holds many happy memories at all, is it? Not at all. Uh, I hope that there's a happy ending to this fixture because it was so fraught about when it would actually be played. Uh, the ticket allocation for Manchester United fans, then there was a planned... Uh, rail strike. If Manchester United beat Chelsea, which I still don't think United are favourites to do, United would move above Chelsea. That would be really significant. United are only one point behind Chelsea. It's funny that United's goal difference is still zero. <laughs> All the teams above them, including Chelsea. It's never going to get above that, is it? It'd be amazing if Manchester United like, won the league with a goal difference of zero. Just t- take a few hammerings, but... <laughs> eke out all of these results. United will go into that game on a high after the performance of Tottenham, not just the result, the performance. I think a lot of them players saw that they can do that to a top, top team. Tottenham were above Chelsea. Tottenham had only lost one game. Tottenham had only conceded eight goals before that. So United managed to break down a side who were difficult to break down, which didn't happen against Newcastle. If you ask me now, would I take a draw at Chelsea? I probably would say yes to that. I think that would end a satisfactory week for Manchester United. But then we're football fans, we get excited. We know that Manchester United have got the players to go and beat Chelsea. And it's about time that Chelsea had a good idea off Manchester United. Again, they're going to be favourites. They've got a little bit of their new manager bounce because they were, they were wobbling a little bit. I'm looking forward to watching that game now. And... There's been a lot of times in the last few years where I've gone to Stamford Bridge thinking, oh no, you're just not expecting anything because you know that they're very good. It'd be nice, wouldn't it, if the um, if they could go and, and give them a real going over. <laughs> I don't I don't envisage it, but I remember one I was I was there as a fan once when they won three 0 and it was a beautiful afternoon in Stamford Bridge. But yeah, they've been few and far between, haven't they? Those kind of performances. Just one little point, I suppose, to make. I don't think we discussed it on the podcast earlier this week, but um, United fans actually their allocation was cut by a little bit less than it would have been because the player match day tickets that get given out the players unanimously agreed to give basically all of them back so usually you know the match day 18 match day 20 now uh, get a couple of tickets each and they can kind of give them to close uh, friends and family but they obviously saw what was going on with the Met Police and decided we need to sort of show a bit of solidarity here and and so you know it's, it's only a small number ultimately and you know the 624 that Nice gesture, cool, but nice gesture, I think, just shows a, an understanding and appreciation of the away fans. Because, you know, the, the away fans have been really good this season and you've seen, haven't you, the, the fact that players have been over to them even after defeats to kind of applaud them. So, yeah, I think it was a nice gesture. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well, as I'm sure you've seen this week, there's been an update on Mason Greenwood. Laurie, you've been covering the case for The Athletic. What's happened? Yeah, was there on Monday um, at Manchester Magistrates Court. Very small court and only sort of five or six journalists were able to get in there to observe the hearing, which was uh, a quick one. It was about bail terms for Mason Greenwood. Um, he'd been arrested, re-arrested for breaching his bail terms. So that's what they were discussing. Um Ultimately, on that day, uh, the judge, uh, Mark Hadfield, decided that uh, Mason Green would be remanded in custody before the Crown Court hearing on November 21st uh, at Manchester Minshall Street Court. Um, his mum and dad were in the uh, gallery. He was wearing a, a grey night hoodie. Uh, and he looked across to them as the ruling was given uh, and he was led away by officers and then escorted out in a police escort van afterwards. Um, and then on Wednesday, there was an appeal made by his defence team and he has since been released on bail pending his court hearing. So that's as far as it's got at this point. So later in November, we should get another hearing that the Crown Court case is uh, decided upon. Okay. well, of course, we'll be covering that on The Athletic. So look out for updates on that as the case continues. Andy, we want to talk about the under-21s now because you were at the Papa John's trophy match against Fleetwood. You've managed to get a lot of matches in during this trip over to England. Uh, what was it like? What was your impressions of the day? It was enjoyable. It was a really good game of football. It was a, a 2 all draw. Fleetwood won on penalties. Manchester United were already out of the group stage. There was a crowd of 2,500. About 500 Manchester United fans were there, including the Fleetwood Reds, which is the smallest official Manchester United supporters club. I was fortunate to watch the game with Andy Pilly who is the owner of Fleetwood. He's put over £40 million into Fleetwood to take them from a Northwest Counties level 10 team to a team in England's third tier for the last nine years. I suspect he's got a little soft spot for Manchester United. In fact, I know that he has. And it was it was a, it was a really, really good game. Um, Shola Shoratiri played well. Charlie Savage played the first half. I spoke to Mark Gerardo, the Catalan fullback after. Um, Kobe Mayne, who I was watching him very closely. Tom Huddleston, aged 35, wearing number 35, came in. Has he got a chance? In the second half. <laughs> he played well. You can just tell his experience. Big, big lad. And uh, I spoke to the manager after the game. It was just a, a good night. And I think Fleetwood fans uh, appreciated the, the young Manchester United players coming. United's players had to be under 21, apart from two players, because Tom Huddleston's obviously a lot... Uh, older than that, but a, a worthwhile competition and a worthwhile night. Manchester United have done really well in this group with with Barrow and Carlisle as well. And Manchester United's 21s could be going to Wembley. I mean, there is a prospect. It's unlikely because they're going to come up against uh, stronger sides, but would be a lot of fun that. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it'd be a great story if they could do that, definitely. And I think there'd be a few Reds quite keen to jump on that trip down to Wembley as well, considering we've not been there for a little while now. <laughs> yeah. um, of this group, Laurie, who should we have our eyes on 
Is there anyone who's standing out? Obviously, Manu got the shout in the end to be on the bench against Newcastle, but it feels like feels like there's a few players there who maybe have got a chance, not including Tom Huddleston, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, I do. It's kind of funny, isn't it? The, the old having the older player in there, and I mean, it was his pass to Shoretire that you know set up um, one of his goals. So, so you kind of get a sense of okay, that's that's why perhaps they're they're being included because because they're producing passes that then the younger players can respond to that, that perhaps other younger players won't be able to produce. So interesting dynamic, I suppose. But yeah, he's not going to be in Manchester United's first team. Uh, so let's move on from him. Uh, Kobe Mayno, I know that Andy's uh, been looked, looking at him closely. I think there might be something coming out um, at some point on him from, from Andy. But I hope I'm not um, stolen your thunder there, Andy. But he, he, whenever I've seen him, I just think he, he looks really um, composed and assured and smart, for, particularly for his age. I mean, he's 17. He was, he was already playing up a year in the FA Youth Cup winning team that, that obviously won in front of 67,000 fans at Old Trafford. And just touching on what you said about, I'm sure fans would be going down to Wembley if they could. I mean, that was an example, wasn't it? If, if, if the youth team get it right, and I know that it was because it was a season of disappointment and, and turmoil last season and, and people wanted something hopeful to, to kind of cling on to. But I do think that even, you know, even now, uh, I think they'd get a good following, wouldn't they? Um, if they managed to get to Wembley or even you know get, get to big teams later on in this competition. But yeah, he, he's one that I thought... Just you know, he he kind of seems to do everything in the game pretty well, and and that's what you're kind of looking for, I suppose, as an academy kid. Because you see a lot of them come through, and these flashes and these kind of like brilliant moments, and you think, okay, that that they've got a chance. But the reality is that doing that time after time is very difficult, and and it's you know hard to maintain it. So a bit like Alejandro Garnacho, I suppose, where he's come through in such a blaze of of kind of attention that. Um, you know, he's he's now got to try and move his game into a, a more rounded, consistent performer. Um, Charlie McNeil keeps scoring, um, scored another penalty, I think. Um, so he's someone that I think you know United are looking at. Yeah, a bit of a penenka. I mean, you know, to do that at nineteen, you know, bit bit of courage on you. Uh, I, I admire that. He's certainly not one. Go on, for, he's not not shy, is he, Charlie McNeil? If you've seen any uh, sort of media uh, interviews that he's given, he, he certainly backs himself. Um, and, and then, yeah, Shola Shoretire is one that, you know, we've, we've trailed for quite a while. You know, United gave him a pre-pro contract early, you know, when he was 16. I don't think they give that out to a lot of players. He's, when you speak to people that have coached him and, and, and worked with him, they say that he's a, a really sort of sweet boy, like kind of, you know, quite mature for his age. So he's had a bit of a, maybe a bit of a plateau last season. And I really hope that he can use this time with the, with the 21s to kind of, understand his game and, and kind of make that development and then I guess you're looking at a loan at some point for him but I, I like what I'd really like him to work out for United it does happen with young players the development's not always in a straight line if you want to read more about the under 21s and that game in particular and indeed the picture for the under 21s this season as well Dan Sheldon has written about it on the athletic before we finish then I need to clear something up here now I'm really confused Andy I don't know about you but I'm really sure that on the last podcast, Laurie Whitwell said that Michael Carrick wasn't going to Middlesbrough. And then, lo and behold, less than 24 hours later, a piece drops on The Athletic with Laurie Whitwell's name on it, saying that Michael Carrick re-emerges as the leading contender to become next Middlesbrough manager. What's going on here, then? It's mad, because when Laurie said last week he looked like he was going to Middlesbrough, I walked down to my local train station and... I bought a rail ticket to Middlesbrough. I thought, I'll go and see Michael Carrick. It'd be a nice interview. And then I got back home and he wasn't going anymore. So <laughs> I started walking back to the train station to get a, re- a refund. And then he was going again. And then, then he wasn't going again. 
we can we can have a joke about this. I'm I'm actually going to defend Laurie because. Um, no, you don't have to. <laughs> well, tr- transfers change all the time, so he's only reporting the news that oh, which his sources um, are telling him at the time, and I think it's been accurately uh, reported. Michael Carrick had some doubts, spoke to some people, and decided that maybe living by um, close to Redcar and up on that beautiful northern coast near to Stockton, near to that transporter bridge. Might be for him in the future, so let's just see what happens there. Hold my hands up. Laurie, explain yourself. I'm doing the okie-cokey, will not I? In, out, in, out. <laughs> All I can say is that I was reporting... The that the didn't ca- work, did Well, the it? thing Sorry. is, I'd, I'd pushed to include it, hadn't I, in the podcast. So, like, you know, I'd, I'd tried, we'd, we'd, we'd failed... I saying, we need we, to put it in the podcast. Carrick's <laughs> not going to Middlesbrough. We should put it in the podcast. <laughs> we should just talk about it. Talk about the, the wider one, context of it, about, you know, footballers coming to the end of their careers. You know, they don't have to go in for these kind of jobs. <laughs> well, listen, he's, he's had a think about it. He's, he's enjoying his time with his family. He doesn't his need time. the money, you know. Yeah. Whatever. yeah. <laughs> Listen, maybe he's realised that actually, you know, time at home. Maybe he's got the David Moyes treatment and, you know, he's 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 been Perhaps told he to get out of the house. was listening to us and he heard what David Moyes had gone through yeah. and thought, yeah, I'll show them. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, what I am told is that he, he had time to reflect on it. You know, I think Borough made another play for him, you know, and I suppose if, you, if you're getting a club like that, you know, where, where they've got potential, you know, I know they've had difficulties in recent years and you know there's been big managers that have gone there and, and not worked out but if you can get it going you know it's obviously a, a part of the world that loves its football um, and Steve Gibson's clearly a very passionate owner so you know that appeals you know he's had time to reflect on it and yeah it looks like he's agreed and it's all going to happen um, it'd be interesting who his assistants are I keep seeing you know uh, reports about Mike Feel and, and Rennie Mullenstein um, I hear conflicting things. I'm not going to put my neck out because, you know, last time I did that, then, you know, I was proven to be incorrect. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, Rennie Mullenstein's with the Australian national team and I would expect him to continue with that uh, for the World Cup um, that they've got coming up. So, um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see who he does pick as his assistants because you've got Kieran McKenna, who's got Martin Pert at Ipswich, Neil Woods at Salford, Neil Ryan's with the FA. So, that you know, people that you might have thought, okay, Carrick could kind of dip back into his Manchester United pool have already got jobs. So it, it will be interesting to see who he goes with. Um, but yeah, I mean, Andy does know a little bit about getting stuff wrong though, just to kind of, you know, kind of defend myself a little bit because, oh, yeah. well, I was, at, oh, yeah. I was at Old Trafford last night, sat in my press seat, you know, I'd, I'd checked the ticket um, that had, you know, G93, you know, I was, I, was, I was pretty sure I was in the right seat and then I get Mr. Andy Mitten come up, you know, what was it, a minute before kickoff, you know, late, you know, we'd been selling some magazine outside, I think, um, and he says, you're in my seat, move immediately. Not again. I don't know, do you want to pick it up, Andy? I did really? not. <laughs> I did walk into the press area in good time to see Manchester United play Tottenham Hotspur. I looked at my ticket, looked at where I was supposed to be sat and thought, oh, that's really nice. So put me next to Laurie. <laughs> I can sit down with him and ask what Michael Carrick's up to. <laughs> One thing we should mention about Middlesbrough, um, their head of goalkeeping is Alan Fettis, who's been at Manchester United for years. So there would be one familiar face there. He was trying to change known. the subject. Yeah, come on, get to the no, point. No, no, I'm going to hold my hands up. A Fettis diversionary tactic. All right. <laughs> so at Old Trafford, as in mo- most stadiums, they operate a system of rows like A, and then if you move up one, it goes to B, and then C, and then D. We're familiar with it. And then it. you can look left and right. One, two, three, four. It, Tends to work all right around the world. Uh, I didn't read mine properly. I said to Laurie, I'm sat in there. Two people had to shift position. 
to, so that I could get in, into my what I thought was my seat. And there was an empty seat there on row G, but I got the row wrong. And I had to apologize because, yeah. Big drama. It's not appreciated when that happens. It's a bit of a tight squeeze the in thing. there as well. So people are... I know your eyes are glazing over here, Ian, because we gave this the big sell before recording, didn't we, where we said... You gave this the biggest <laughs> sell before we started the podcast. I can get Andy back. I can get Andy back. He's inaccurate about things. And the <laughs> story is, is that got. he sat in the Listen, wrong I've seat. I've got desperate times. He made two people stand stories. up. No, but it was just... It was that moment where he's like, right, okay, now we're in position. And then this other guy comes and goes, no, that's my seat. And I'm like, Andy, have you got this right here? And, you know, he's HG, you know, what's the difference? Anyway, he was wrong, obviously. And so we all had to shift. But at other grounds, it's not too bad, is it? Just stand up, move along. At United, it's so tight. You've got to move the table down. You've got to sort of squeeze past, breathe in. I'm still not selling it to you, am I? I just want to see you sat in a, a double man canoe on the River Tees with Michael Carrick in about three weeks' time, writing a piece about him. <laughs> but reading things wrong like that, I met one of the great characters at Manchester United matches, Barmy Charlie. He makes the flags. You know, we see the flags in the Unway and that United trickle off. Well, Barmy Charlie hand makes the flags. None of us knew who he was until an away friendly at Bronby. I think it was to do with the Peter Schmeichel signing. And the plane was about to take off from Manchester Airport. So there was hardly any United fans travelling. And this fella, Barmy Charlie, and he earned his nickname that day, was looking for his seat. And the plane was like taxiing. And he was looking for um, row C, seat 27. And I'm like, no, 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 it's row 27, seat C. Because if you think of it, mate, the plane doesn't go 27 <laughs> seats across. It goes back to front. So everyone saw this happening and he got hammered for it. And he earned his nickname that day, long, long time ago. And he's had a company for years called Barmy Flags because obviously he's a Barmy and he's a proper uh, character like that. So some good can come from uh, reading very simple locations wrongly from your seat. Okay, well, I think this podcast has run its course, so I think I'm <laughs> going to say thank you now to Andy and Laurie before we get any more amusing seat number stories. Um, there's so much good stuff on The Athletic at the minute, though. We haven't even had a chance to talk about the interview of Mark Hughes by Richard Sutcliffe or Carl Anker's analysis of Harry Maguire's England situation, but you can go and read them, of course, and don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod but Andy Laurie thank you for being with us as always and thank you for listening at home I'm going off now to see if I can find out any more interesting tales about Road G Seat 27 or anything like that we'll see you after Chelsea bye bye How's Mrs. Mitten, Andy? All right. She sounds exactly as I thought she might. Yeah, great. Mum, yeah. come here. You've got to say hello to the lads on the podcast. Oh, we've seen the statement. Oh, I don't think they're going to think any less of you because you're not. We've seen you, son. Hi. Hiya. Morning. Well, saying hello. Hello. Good to all. Come on. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Up the reds. <laughs> right, boys. The Athletic.